This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. Alrighty. Kickstarter progress report. As you may know, we are currently raising money for the fourth season of 99% Invisible. We hit our initial goal in 92 hours, so we're going weekly. And we moved on to what we call stretch goals. The first stretch goal was healthcare coverage for our contract workers. And I was completely blown away by the response. In no time at all, you made sure that we will all feel safe and healthy doing our jobs. A lot of people even upped their donation in response to that goal in particular, and it made my heart grow three sizes. So it's a good thing we have healthcare because that's probably dangerous. Thank you so much. You're the best bosses a radio program could have. So we're now on to new stretch goals. The next one is a new production hire, which we're super excited about. But the real goal that you have to act on right now is this one. 10,000 backers. Our good friends at MailChimp have presented us with a challenge grant of $20,000, if and only if, we get 10,000 backers in the Season 4 Kickstarter campaign. It doesn't matter how much you give, a minimum pledge of $1 does the job. But pledging that $1 could mean $20,000 to the show if we end this campaign with over 10,000 total backers. We're going to need everyone's help to get this done. The last couple of days have been a little slower. It's making me nervous. But the intent of this challenge is I want to make each person who listens to 99% Invisible understand that the simple act of supporting the show with a pledge of any size is meaningful. Each and every pledge matters. A $1 pledge and a $10,000 pledge are exactly equal when it comes to this goal. And that's the way I like it, because we're all going to pitch in exactly as much as we can, no more, to create the media that we deserve. All right, remember, 10,000 backers, don't drag this out. There's no reason to make this suspenseful. <laughs> With just the people who download this show in the first 24 hours, we can knock that out. It could be done. It could be finished. I could go to sleep. <laughs> go to the webpage. It's 99pi.org. Look for the link to the Kickstarter. You're going to enjoy pledging. It's going to make you feel good. We're going to accomplish something amazing together. All right. That's enough of that. On with the show. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. The story goes like this. And keep in mind with all these origin stories, when they sound a little too much like stories, they're probably not completely true. But anyway, the story goes like this. Theophilus Van Canel hated chivalry. There was nothing he despised more than trying to walk in or out of a building and locking horns with some other man in a game of... After you. No, you first. Oh, no. No, of course. You first. No, I insist. You first. Thank you. And more than that socially mandated deference to other men, Theophilus Van Canel hated opening doors for women. And so Theophilus Van Canel, or Theo for short, took a German innovation from 1881, the Tua ohne Luftzug, or Door Without Draft of Air, he made some improvements to the design and in 1888 was awarded an American patent for the improved revolving door. The first one was installed in Times Square in 1899. That's our producer, Sam Greenspan. Van Canel's improved revolving door had three compartments and weather stripping to ensure an energy efficient fit inside the door frame. His 1888 patent states that, quote, it is perfectly noiseless in its operation and effectually prevents the entrance of wind, snow, rain, or dust, either when it is closed or when persons are passing through it. And as a bonus, annihilates any chance of social interaction that one might have while entering or exiting a building. 
The motto of Theo Van Canel's revolving door company was always open, always closed. And so for the past 100 plus years, we have had the solution to keep dust and noise and rain and sleet and snow from entering our buildings. And yet, the likelihood that you will actually use it is very, very low. The problem is that people don't use revolving doors because they're heavy or they feel like they might get stuck in them. Compartments terrify people. And this shouldn't be a big surprise. When you're approaching a revolving door, it's always hard to tell how hard you're going to have to push it to get it going. And if it is already moving, you have to time it just right. And there's also the anxiety of getting a limb caught or maybe your bag. And if, oh man, if you're walking with someone and talking to them and it's a little bit bigger of a revolving door and you accidentally get in there with them and then you're with them like really close, even for that few seconds and it's just, ooh, yeah, deep breaths, deep breaths, ooh. And if you've read Alan Moore's Watchmen, you may remember that detail about how some of the superheroes are wary of capes because one time their caped crusader colleague, Dollar Bill, got his cape caught in a revolving door and was thus immobilized as a bank robber approached him and shot him in the head point blank. As long as you can tell if you need to push or pull to open the door, and that subject could be a whole episode in and of itself, swinging doors are just easy. And most of us, unlike Van Canel, are well-adjusted human beings who actually do try to open the door for each other. Anytime you have a stream of people walking together and the first person in that line opens the swinging door, the rest tend to follow. So this is Andrew Shea. My name is Andrew Shea. I'm a graphic designer, writer, and educator in New York City. Andrew's obsession with revolving doors started when he was in graduate school. I was doing my thesis on designing for social change and a good friend of mine was visiting. He found out what I was doing and he pointed to the revolving doors and he's like, if you want to design for social change, I wish you would get people to use revolving doors more often. That was his challenge to me. Andrew dove into the literature on revolving doors, which was shockingly quite slim. But he did come across a study. A study done by some MIT students. I think they were in the urban planning department, but it was focused on sustainability and it was the only resource I could find out there that seemed to have authoritative information about revolving doors and their, and their impact. And it had a lot of math in it. I kind of avoided the math because I didn't know how to interpret it. But you don't really need to see the math to understand the logic. The basic idea of how a revolving door saves energy is that revolving doors never open. They can prevent the free exchange of air from the outside to the inside. As the people move through the revolving door, they don't open it. The only air that leaks through is either the actual air that's being transported with the people in the chambers of the revolving door or whatever leaks around the weather stripping. That's Dan Wasilowski. Howdy. Dan was one of the authors on the revolving door study. Back when he was a grad student at MIT, he worked on a project studying people's behavior with respect to revolving doors and the energy savings associated with using revolving doors in large buildings. And in some ways, it's a study that will not leave him alone. We were not the first people to contact him for an interview about this. I don't understand it. You know, I've got like 20 peer-reviewed publications in material science and engineering. And uh, what do I have, like, constant contact about? A term paper I did eight years ago. Anyway, Dan did a bunch of science that sounds like this. Latent heat associated with all the water vapor that is in that material. We didn't really give you enough context to understand that little bit. But here's the result. There's eight times more air exchanged when you use the swing door than when you use the revolving door. Or put another way. Revolving doors exchange eight times less air than swinging doors. That's Andrew Shea again, the designer in New York. And this factoid really resonated with him. Which makes total sense. Because opening a swinging door is like tearing a hole in a building. 
All that heat or air conditioning leaks out and the building has to kick into high gear to make up for the temperature and humidity fluctuation. Dan Wasilowski and his team observed a building on the MIT campus that had both revolving doors and swinging doors and found that the revolving door usage sat at about 25%. The team realized that in addition to conserving energy and helping the environment, they could also save MIT more than $7,500 annually if everyone just used the revolving door in this one building. And they found they could raise revolving door usage at that building to 60 or 70% with just some simple signage. And even though the MIT study was done in Boston and Andrew was in New York... It seemed like a pretty transposable data set. So all this inspired Andrew Shea in New York City. He decided to take up his friend's challenge back from when he was in grad school and see what some simple observation and signage could do for one building in New York. That building was at uh, Columbia University. It was the Applied Sciences building. It's a brand new building. There's three sets of swinging doors and three sets of revolving doors at the one entry point of this building. Andrew started by just watching the building. I spent probably altogether about two months, once a week. I think it was Tuesday mornings. Some of those weeks I was there for uh, twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I watched people exiting and entering the building and counted the number of people. And he counted for about 20 hours in a two-month period. I discovered that only 28% of people were using the revolving doors. So my first intervention was just to create a very basic sign. I took an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. I wrote really simply, please use revolving doors. He added that factoid about revolving doors exchanging eight times less air than swinging doors. It was very crudely taped onto the swinging door. It caused 58% of people to then go ahead and use revolving doors. So that's a 30-point increase. It was a 30% increase, yep. And of course, um, I wanted to know how I could get that number even higher. Andrew made a second sign in the shape of an arrow. And this arrow was smaller than the first sign. But then revolving door usage actually fell five points from his previous attempt to 53%. So Andrew tweaked it, made it larger, and he also made it match Columbia University's visual identity. Columbia has like a light blue and a dark blue color palette in their branding system. So my hope was that the branding would help people uh, connect with it more and and take it more seriously. And in fact, 71% of people ended up using the revolving doors as a result of that. 71%. That's up 43 points from where he started at 28%. Here at 99PI HQ, we were curious to find out if that could happen here in the Bay Area. So I went with our intern, Avery Truffleman, to go stake out a building in downtown Oakland. Seven. The swinging doors. This is Avery and Sam in the observation stage. The vestigial scientist part of me has to remind you here that all the data sets we're talking about today are very small, so understand that. But everyone's observations are aligned. Given the choice, revolving doors just aren't that popular. So it's been two minutes in our experiment so far, and how are we doing? We've got 12 for swinging, zero for revolving. Suffice to say, nobody is using the revolving doors. And when someone did use a revolving door, it was notable. (gasps) (laughs) Okay, market one. Revolving door. Wow, what a champ. Aren't they adorable? (gasps) (laughs) After a half hour, they tallied up the results. Right, tallied up. How we do? 259 people used swinging doors. Four people used revolving doors in a 30-minute period. Okay, 
So, should we... So, yeah, let's tape up these, these signs. These are the signs designed by Andrew Shea. It's an arrow that says, please use revolving door. They exchange eight times less air. Notice that people are using the revolving door as we're walking. <laughs> exactly. All right, all the signs are up. All right, let's see what happens. Batman saw the sign and uses the revolving door. Followed by another guy. Followed by another guy using the revolving door. This lady's even waiting for the revolving door oh, to wow. finish so she can get in and go the other direction. They're already increasing the uh, revolving door traffic flow. It doubled in doubled. less than five minutes. <laughs> and after another 30 minutes, Team 99PI tallied the results. Five, one for revolving. Four, three, two. <laughs> All right. All right. How do we do? Okay. Okay. So these are people who use the swinging doors, even though the sign was on them. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 140, 145, 150, 155, 157. And then people who use the revolving doors this time are 5, 10, 15, 20, 20, 65, 69. So with no sign, this building between the hours of uh, 1230 and 1 on a Monday... Originally, it was 1.5%. After the sign... 30.5% of people went through the revolving doors when there was a sign pointing to them, as opposed to 1.5% without the signs. So, uh, not too shabby. Yeah. Now, we did not try testing all the variations, so people could have interpreted the signs as intended, taking in the message that revolving doors were more energy efficient and adjusted their behavior accordingly. Or they could have just thought the swinging door was out of order, or they could have just noticed something was out of the ordinary and it nudged them into using the revolving door. Whatever happened, this much is clear. Putting up an arrow on a door makes people do things. And if you want to get people to use a revolving door, that's a good place to start. And with that, Sam and Avery left the lobby of that building and took down the signs. Just like Andrew Shea took down his signs at Columbia and shared his results with the powers that be, but nothing ever came of it. Dan Wasilowski says that MIT did eventually incorporate some of the basic concepts of his study when they created sustainability stickers to place on their outer doors, although he thought his signs were better. But another really powerful way to increase the use of revolving doors is to address the issue in the architecture itself. It turns out there are actually much more effective revolving doors out there, like at the Marriott Hotel in Oakland. It's much larger, it's the visual focus of the entrance, and it has three dividers which are actually big enough for you to be inside one of them with a stranger and not feel too weird about it. And they revolve automatically. And perhaps most importantly, the doormen won't open the swinging doors for you unless they see you're already going for them. So if you can't get institutional buy-in or get a brand new gigantic revolving door, Andrew Shea has a revolving door action kit that you can download for free and take to your local office building. Scotch tape not included. It's B-Y-O-S-T. F-Y-I. Y-M-M-V. I-C-Y-M-I. B-R-B. OMG.
99% Invisible was produced this week by Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7, local public radio KALW in San Francisco, and the American Institute of Architects in San Francisco. Support for 99% Invisible comes from people just like you, and companies who are surprisingly like you too, including Tiny Letter, email for people with something to say. My boy Maslow always has something to say. Of course, we've been talking about revolving doors. Um, I like how in the middle you feel like you're in a trap and you're in between. So, so it feels like you're in a trap, but I like that feeling. <laughs> Who raised that kid? Tiny Letter. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter. From the great people behind MailChimp. Speaking of MailChimp, they've put up $20,000 of their money to challenge you to back this show at whatever level you want. When we get 10,000 backers, they're going to add $20,000 into the Kickstarter. So when it hits that magic number, we're all gonna be able to watch it. Jump, $20,000 instantly when it hits 10,000 backers. It's going to be amazing. Let's watch it together. Let's watch it t- tomorrow about. Just become a backer on the Kickstarter page. We are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange, making public radio more public. Find out how they're making this the golden age of public media at prx.org. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. I tweet at Roman Mars, but right now, if you go to our website, it's 99percentinvisible.org, or you can now type in 99pi.org. You can find that Kickstarter link and become one of the 10,000. Your $1 pledge could make this show $20,000. If you pledge right now before November 22nd, we're going to do something amazing with your help. Thanks.